Welcome to Island Baptist Church's Bible study in the parables of Luke, Lesson 6. We're in Luke 16. We're in Luke 16. Like I said, it was going to kind of be, a, it was going to kind of be and it has been a kind of a skip around study. And not so much as we come to them in the scriptures, uh, just sort of, honestly, as, as I came to them just in my head, it's kind of the way I put them together. And so hoping that the Holy Spirit is overseeing that as opposed to just me rambling through the scriptures. And they've, they've all, they all stand alone, and so there's a part of it that I'm not afraid of because they're, they're all great teachings and great, uh, great things. And so um, have you learned anything? Been, it's been good, right? It's, it's amazing these things that we've known all of our lives in many cases. Uh, it, but it's just an example that we don't know everything. And that's good. It's important for us to know that. And so I'm not trying to shock you or trying to give you, you know, I don't know, go out of my way to, to make, make trouble for your minds in any way. But, but it is important that we understand that none of us have arrived. Nobody with correct theology here except for Jesus. And we're trusting his presence in this room to lead us into that correct, correct theology. We're all tainted by sin. Uh, we all have minds that forget. Some of us have forgotten more than others have learned, ever. <laughs> and um, so we're always trusting the presiding of the Holy Spirit. The, the temptation of his sheep is to think they've arrived. And that's a dangerous place for a sheep. But the sheep immediately thinks he doesn't need a shepherd. He's not dependent upon the shepherd. And that is a dead sheep every single time, because he won't do what he says, he won't be available, he won't be teachable, um, he won't be submissive, and that's never a good thing. So, so let's pray, and uh, we will jump into our study. God, we thank you that you are the shepherd, and we're trusting you to shepherd us every single day. We're trusting you to shepherd us in our lives, Lord. We need your help in, in everything, God. We especially need your help in the things that we really think that we know. Uh, that's our most dangerous area, and um, we need humility, God. We need um, lowliness. We need um, broken spirits, not high and mighty spirits, so that we can be so that we can be attentive to the things that you say. We pray, God, that you would direct us, teach us today, help us to take these things to heart. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> We'll be addressing one of the more difficult parables. Difficult not because, well, it, well, it is difficult because it just seems to, in some way to encourage us to be bad people, and that's not at all what Jesus is trying to say here. But, um, but it, it's just one of these things that Jesus is a master storyteller. And, you know, sometimes what we have running around between our ears is not exactly masterful. So we really have to dig down and um, go beyond a Sunday school conversation about these things. And it's part of our problem is that we really, we don't, we're, we're, I can start with the people in my position. We are too lazy to give you uh, in-depth study. We are. We're, we're either too lazy or we're too overburdened or something, but we are too lazy to really dig down deep. And all we think we have to do is no more than you do or at least make you think that we know more than you do. And we can get by. And uh, that is not a proper handling of God's sheep as God's under shepherds at all. And so I would encourage you, and I know none of you are, well, there's a few of you my church members, but the rest of you aren't. Go back to your home churches and do your best to free your pastor up. That means you're taking on some of his stuff. Sometimes we, we, what we do with a pastor is, is we expect him to be this scholar as far as the Bible is concerned and also to do everything else in the church. I mean everything else. And, um, and, you know, it's, and I don't mind this and so the next time y'all do this don't feel like I'm offended. But for instance every time you go out to eat, who's got to pray? Well if the pastor's the pastor's got to pray. I was like he's the only one that's going to know how to pray. <laughs> and, it, and, and again, I don't mind praying every single time. It doesn't bother me a bit. But it's sort of the attitude we have about everything. Well, the pastor, it's, you know, if it's going to be done correctly, it ought to be the pastor. You've got the pastor doing everything. You've got the, the staff doing everything. Guys, that's not the church. That's not the biblical church. Get in the book of Acts. Every one of them were workers. Every one of them were full-time missionaries. 
even though they had secular jobs. And, and, and boy, um, what an introduction to the thing we're going to be looking at today, because that's really, that's really the bottom line of what Jesus is getting at here in this parable. And uh, Luke 16, we're going to be in verses 1 through 13. It's a parable about money, and it shouldn't surprise us, because since one in three of his parables are about money. Because, why? Because money's a big deal, and in our concept at least, and so he's speaking to our situation, and we, levels that we can understand, and uh, again, shouldn't surprise us. I mean, the previous parable in chapter 15 was all about money. The prodigal son, what was it about? Taking money. And, the, and the, the, the son, the older son, what was he worried about? Well, I've, you've never given me so much as anything. You've always had all my stuff, was the father's answer to him. And so he never submits to, to, to the relationship that he could have with the father. And then the previous ones, which are, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a trilogy, right? So the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, right? These are, these are commodities. These are, this is money. And then the prodigal son, it's about money. So, so and, and this, have you noticed um, Jesus' parables all have a shock factor to them? And we said last time, uh, the, the, the good Samaritan, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan to the Jews. It was complete shocker for them. Complete shocker. Complete shocker that the two guys, both the priest and the, the Levite, failed the test, the heaven test, which is you must be 100% good. They failed. They failed the two greatest commandments. They're out. And again, the whole point was trying to get this man to the point, place where he, he admitted the fact that he was a sinner and needed a Savior. So, so uh, Jesus introduces a shock factor, and this is going to be another one that has a shock factor. And the shocker here is going to be, among other things, that everyone in this story is bad to some, at some level. Neither they either evil truly or they are complicit with evil. And, and the, the, the biggest shocker is that the worst one in this story is the one we're supposed to be drawing our example from. So, how does that work? Like I said, this is not, this is not a kindergarten Sunday school story. Not that you can't make it something like that, but man, it's a deep one and it's for adults and it's for serious thinkers and willing uh, hearts to God. So it strangely becomes an illustration of how we should be living. So let's, let's read the story, and then we'll go from there. Chapter 16, verse 1. And he was also saying to his disciples, there was a certain rich man. You notice it's, it's a classic parable type of situation. A certain person, a certain rich man, a certain poor man, a certain man with two sons. It's always no names because that's, it's a parable. This isn't a real story. These people didn't exist. In most cases, these things would never happen in real life. This is one of the things that wouldn't happen in real life. I'm going to show you why. Uh, it would never happen among the Jews. It would never happen with you. There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and the steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. No shocker there, but it's going to get shocker after that. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Right? He's fired. He's got a pink slip, right? Out the door that day, right? Wrong. Wrong. Watch. All indications here, he doesn't leave office for maybe weeks. Steward said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the stewardship, is taking the stewardship from me. Notice he not has taken, but is going to. That's weird. I'm no, not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. So he's, you know, he's one of these guys that never found a shovel that fit his hand or an axe or, you know, one of these guys, you know, he's a softy. Too light to do heavy work, too heavy to do light work. You know, walks too fast to plow. You know, those kind of people. He's a light color worker. I know what I will do so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. Now, again, it's important that we understand the culture because it doesn't make sense in our culture what this guy does here. Because it may, may or may not work in our culture, but it would definitely have worked in his. His ploy actually is a very good ploy. It's, it's, he's a crook, but his crook is going to work in that culture because the culture is crooked, just like ours, by the way, just in a different way. So I know what I'll do when I'm removed from my stewardship. They will see me into their homes. He summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? 
And he said to him, a hundred measures of oil, by the way, that's a lot. Tells us immediately the, the level of income that the master has. This is just one of his debtors. And he says, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. So he gets a 50% discount. Who wouldn't be in favor of that, right? He said to another, guy, I can't sign fast enough. He said to another, how much do you owe? By the way, these are just two examples of probably a multitude of people. The implication is, at least. And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, that's a lot, by the way. Take your bill, write 80. 20% discount. His master prays the righteous steward. That's weird. He praises him for being an embezzler? <laughs> yep. His master praised the righteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. Pay attention to that word. Maybe you need to underline it. Because that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Don't get mixed up in any of the other stuff. That is what Jesus is wanting you to understand. This man was shrewd with his circumstances concerning things about his immediate future. That's all this is about. The master praised the righteous steward because he acted shrewdly, and here's Jesus' commentary, for the sons of this age, the corrupt, not going to heaven people, are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light, the people that are going to heaven. The people of this age, the not going to heaven people, are smarter in general about their immediate futures than the children of God are about their immediate futures. Again, this is not my commentary. This is Jesus' commentary. So this is an accurate evaluation. This is not somebody's opinion. This is not a Baptist preacher's illustration. This is Jesus. So hear him. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by the means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, not if, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in very little thing is, is, will also be faithful in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing will be unrighteous righteous also in much. And so we have this unusual story. The Lord uses evil people, by the way, doesn't he? As examples. We have the unrighteous judge. Who is he an example of? In a weird way, of God. Remember that? The widow kept coming to him. This unrighteous judge is, is put as an example of what the alter ego, if you will, of God could be. The, the, the extreme juxtaposition. Here's this guy, and she got an answer from this guy when nobody would have thought about it. How much more will your father answer those, his children who cry out to him day and night, and specifically about um, Jesus' second coming and coming for the church? So he uses unrighteous people, doesn't he? He uses evil people, the, the, the self-righteous son and the prodigal son. The prodigal, the last person you would think who would be rescued and reconciled to the father is this kid that squandered everything. Shockers, right? Shockers. He's using bad people's examples. Why? Because there ain't no other examples, guys. We have this opinion about ourselves that we're somehow righteous and awesome, and we're just not. We're just not. We're hopefully shades better than these guys, but honestly, when it all boils down, we're all sinners, aren't we? There aren't any other examples. So uh, uh, the prodigal son, the priest and the Levite, two guys you thought were going to heaven, and we saw last time Jesus put them through the test. They were not. They failed the two biggest, two biggest uh, uh, commandments. So, so here, here's the deal. You'll either be, you're going to be an example in this life. You know that, right? So you're going to be an example no matter how you live. You're going to be an example of what to do or what not to do. And so Jesus is using examples, so he pulls from both sides, and more often from the evil side. So it's almost like Jesus saying, follow the behavior of the wasteful, profligate, uh, prodigal, deceitful, thieving, selfish, conniving, unprincipled person. That is not what he's saying. He's saying the shrewdness of this person is what you need to focus on. Nothing else that he does is commendable in any way. So let's get to our details, and we'll find out why, why this is so and how it is so and how it applies to our lives. So first of all, a certain rich man. Well, first of all, this guy is really rich. Number one, because he isn't directly overseeing his stuff. That was extremely unusual in this culture. He's like, you know, he probably head up the list of the top 30 most wealthy men in that nation. 
when they hear that, again, in this culture, that this guy isn't directly overseeing his stuff, that he has a steward that runs his stuff, you immediately know, oh, this guy is rolling in it. Not only is he rolling it because he has this steward who is overseeing his stuff, he's also rolling in because he has lots of debtors, as is implied there, and the two examples that he gives us here owe him incredible amounts of stuff. Like, this guy's possessing, possessing acres and hundreds and hundreds of acres and multiple olive trees that are covering all kinds of places, and who knows what else? The implication here is, who knows what else this guy is, is is covering the, the steward on the other hand, his title here in Greek is the oikonomos. Oikonomos, by the way, is the same title that is given in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, given to Joseph as the uh, overseer of Potiphar's house. It's oikonomos, it literally means the law of the house. In other words, he's got the con, he controls. When the master isn't there, he doesn't have to consult the master in anything. He speaks as if he's the master. And this was, this was very common, or I should say it was very common if you were very, very wealthy, uh, that you would have somebody like that. But boy, did you need to be careful on the people that you chose. Now, in the case of Joseph, Joseph was perfect. Joseph was, could be trusted in everything except for the fact that, that Potiphar had a floozy for a wife. And of course, you know that story. So... This person could act on behalf of the owner. He had the control. He had the law of the house. He had say over the books. He had say over the, all the other servants. He had say over everything that happened there. The master could go and travel the world, if you will, and trust this guy. And so that's who this person is. The word squandering there, that he was squandering the master's stuff, is not a, uh, it's the same word that is used to describe the prodigal son in the previous chapter. And it it didn't necessarily mean embezzlement. Doesn't mean necessarily he's doing anything illegal. It just simply means that he's he, just like the prodigal son. What was the prodigal son doing? Anything illegal? No. It was his money. He could blow it on prostitutes and liquor and he could do that. He had the say over it, right? It was his stuff. That's the same thing that's happening here. This guy has the say over stuff and he's just using it in a way that's inconsistent with what the master would do, not necessarily something he could be arrested for. Now what he does with it after this is something he could be arrested for. He embezzles after this, but there's no indication here that he's doing that right now. So he's not a crook at this point. He's just simply lazy, irresponsible, uh, incompetent at his job. And so that's why he's getting fired. So so the master calls him, him and here's, here's where the story takes a weird turn. Because they would have been familiar with this kind of, this level of management. They would have been familiar with an oikonomos. They would have understood this. What they would not have understood is the way, the way the owner handles the firing of this guy. How does he handle it? So he calls the guy into account. He fires him, but he gives him time to get the books in order. That's not a good idea. If he's worth firing, he cleans his desk out right there. So, so, I mean, just reason with me. So he's not been handling the books correctly, and now you're going to give him two weeks before he's fired to get the books together? What's he going to do? Cooking them. Cooking them. Everybody's standing there, and Jesus fully intended for them to understand this guy has now given free reign to go and cook the books. And, and they would have all said, the master's an idiot. Yep. Yep, he's an idiot, or he's just got so much money that he doesn't care, or something. But anyway, they would have read right between the lines here. So, so clean out your desk, but you've got two weeks to straighten out the books. It's just like, nope. He's going to poison the well. That's exactly what he does. He does exactly what you would expect, what they all expect him to do. So Jesus sort of brings them in. He corners them into this expectation of something that would never happen. And then, of course, because it would never happen... They know what would happen as a result of that, so they immediately jump to the conclusion of this guy's about to cook the books, and so Jesus takes them right to that point. What they didn't expect is the conclusion of the master after he actually cooks the books, which I guess in my opinion, I mean, what would you expect the guy to do? But anyway, so he's losing his job, understand. He's also losing his home because these guys, the oikonomos, lived in the house. The head of the law of the house, the guy who had the title, also lived in the house. It was his not only his income, it was also his room and board. 
So you didn't live anywhere else because to have say over the master's house didn't meant you come in to, to work every day. It meant you lived at work. So the master could go and, you know, tour the world. So that's just the way it was. Again, this is an assumed thing. Uh, Jesus doesn't explain this because it would have been absolutely understood by this culture. Well, now you know. So he's losing his job, he's losing his home, and he's also losing his reputation because what does he do for a living? He's an oikonomos. Now he's getting fired for being not good at being an oikonomos, so who the next guy is going to hire him and say, listen, I'm looking for an oikonomos. I heard you had a guy. Is he any good? No, he's not. In fact, when he left here, he really cooked the book. So guess what? He's never getting a job in, in that line of work ever again. And he's already told us he can't find a shovel that fits his hand. So he's not willing to be a blue-collar worker, so what's he going to do about himself? So <clears throat> he has a revelation. Here's the revelation. I know what I will do. This eureka moment. I will do, effectively, here's what he says. Whatever it takes to secure my future, and I will take whatever I have at my disposal at these moments, and I will use them. That's exactly what he does. It's totally crooked. It's not his stuff. But he's commended not for the way he does it, but for the fact that he's shrewd. So he basically resets all his owner's accounts receivable. That's what he does. Calls the guys in, but why did he do it? Because he saw what was going to happen in his immediate future. He took a, a sober look at his future saying things are about to permanently change for me. He did it because that's all he had, and he also did it because he could. Because his idiot master left him in charge for another couple of weeks. Like I said, what would you expect of this guy? Jesus is expecting everyone to see this coming. And so what he does, he takes advantage of his masters being an idiot, and he also takes advantage of the, ma of the culture. And the culture works this way. And I've already told you this before, but understand, this is an understood thing in this culture, and it's not necessarily understood in ours. In our culture, if I invite you out to eat, do you feel obligated to invite me out to eat? Eh, that's not why I would do it. But you wouldn't be like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hit high on a list of things that you absolutely have to do. If we get around to taking the pastor and his wife out, that's great. But if we don't, we know that that's not the reason why they did it. And that would not be the reason why we did it. In this culture, completely opposite. If I took you out and you did not have me out, we are not friends anymore. Period. No exceptions. See, and, and I know there, some, some of our cultures and backgrounds have some of that. If we're more from a Latin culture, um, um, you may have some more of that going on. If you're from Middle Eastern culture, some, some of the more ancient cultures had this much more rigid. And I've already told you in the Mexican culture, um, you couldn't bring them a plate of food. I mean, they would, they would refuse a plate of food from you unless they had a plan to fill that plate back up and give it back to you. Or you'd give them a plate of food and you wouldn't get that plate back for months until they could fill it back up or until they had the time or the opportunity because they feel very... It, so if me bringing a plate of food to Paul and his wife, they would just say, well, Pastor Bill's such a nice guy. But in, in the Hispanic culture, and this is not every Hispanic, but in the, in the traditional Hispanic culture, I've now made them obligated to me. So I've, I've, I've now, he's in debt to me now. And that's the, exactly the way I would feel about it, and that's exactly the, way, the point that he would make. You see, it's, they don't think, they're not thinking like us, but we all used to think like them. We all came from this culture, and we've sort of gotten out of that here in the West. This is a very Eastern mindset. And like I said, it's more traditionally in the Hispanic culture because the Hispanic culture was in Spain, and Spain was ruled by the Moors, who are the Muslims, for 500 years. So the rest of us are from somewhere else in Eng or not England. Well, I'm English, but the rest of you may be from Europe somewhere, Italian. I know I got Italian over there, and I got others, you know, from different. I got a Russian back there, and I don't even know how they thought in Russia. But he's been in Canada forever, so he's just thinking like the rest of us. <laughs> And uh, I, most likely the Russians were more Western thinkers than they were Eastern thinkers. But they, these are Eastern thinking people. And so for him to take accounts receivable, for him to take me down to 50%, from 100% to 50%, means that I am indebted to him for that. 
You understand what he's doing with these guys? Now, of course, who doesn't want a 50% discount? Who doesn't want a 20% discount? And these are not small numbers. Let, let, me, let me demonstrate them to you here. Again, he takes, he takes advantage of his temporary position and the ways of his culture to set himself up for the future. So again, we're building something here. Just keep that in mind. But each one of his master's debtors, again, it applies there's a multitude of debtors, but it only gives us two examples. One is 100 measures of oil. That's about 1,000 gallons of olive oil. Don't know when the last time you tried to squeeze oil out of an olive. That is a bunch of olives. That's a, a, a basically three years' wages of a typical wage earner at that, during this time period. It would have been effectively 150 olive trees to produce that much olive oil. So this is just one debtor that this master has. So it tells us this guy is very wealthy. He gets a 50% discount. Who wouldn't want a 50% discount, right? Who? Who? I'll tell you who, an honest person. So why, I've been dealing with this master for all these years, have I gotten this windfall? Because I have an oikonomos who, who is in charge of speaking on behalf of the master, but if I'm really smart, I would want to know what the master had to say about this. Because, I don't know, have y'all got an email recently how the, you know, the federal government's going to cut your taxes by 50% if you just click on these certain buttons and it's going to, you know, they're going to connect to your computer and they're going to give you all kinds of wonderful breaks. If it looks too good, sounds too good to be true, guess what? It probably is not. This sounds too good to be true. But notice this guy can't sign fast enough. So what does it tell you about this guy? Yeah, not as dishonest as the steward, but he's dishonest. And he's looking for, he's looking for a break. And it's just the way people are. Isn't that right? It's not a shocker, is it? It's not a shocker. 100 measures of wheat is 1,000 bushels, roughly. Uh, take about 100 acres to produce, he gets a 20% discount. Doesn't ask questions, just where can I sign? Get it done. Uh, again, this is embezzlement, but notice he's not walking away with any money. It's typically embezzlement is I cook the books and I walk, you know, I tell the accounts receivable that the, that the master made a million when in fact he made a million 100,000, but I hid the 100,000, I put it in my back pocket. He's not walking away with any money but he is walking away with stuff maybe even better than the 100,000 bucks. Because see, 100,000 bucks has pennies and nickels and dimes in it, and once it's gone, it's gone. But, but when I've obligated Paul to 50% out of, out of a tremendous amount, Paul owed, me, owed the master 100, uh, 100%, and I got him down to 50%, when does he come to the end of that accounts? You see, there's no money, there's no, there's no, there's no way to measure that. I'm, I'm just, and I knock on your door, buddy, because our culture says you have, you have to, I'm indebted, you're indebted to me. You've got to let me in. When I say I don't have food, guess what? See, you should have thought better than letting me cut you 50%. Now I'm tied. You're, you're tied to me. This guy is, he's shrewd. He is shrewd. So he receives this commendation there in verse in verse 8, the master praised the unrighteous steward. That's in fact in what he is, because he acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. That's all Jesus is saying here. Is this guy living in a crooked world, acted like a crook, but a very smart crook, took somebody else's stuff, that's his master's stuff, Obligated people who owed the master, he's just the go-between. He got that all worked together to set himself up for an unforeseeable future. Smart. Very smart. He was praising him not because of incompetence, not because of his wastefulness, not because of his embezzlement. That's where we get hung up on this, because just like, was well, Jesus trying to tell us to be embezzlers? No. Not because of a deception. He's praising him because he acted shrewdly. That's all. He's praising him because he acted shrewdly. And that is all. That is the way the world works. Everybody's relatively corrupt. Trying to secure immediate future. Any way they can. We're not shocked when people act this way, are we? They should be better than this. But of course we expect the world. That's why we have 3,000 pieces of paper to sign every time we make any kind of deal. Because we know people can't be trusted. And even then, they get away with it at times. Jesus commends the guy not for being corrupt, 
but for taking advantage of an opportunity. He had a very short window, he had very limited resources, and he did the best he possibly could for a totally selfish reason. Jesus commends him for that. He's commended. Jesus says, the sons of light, listen, need to be at least as shrewd about their circumstances and their futures as the sons who are not in the light. Now, what does that mean? That's where the rub comes. Here it is. You ready? The discrepancy, listen, is in the futures. What kind of future does this guy have? What's he looking at? He's looking at two weeks. He's looking at two weeks to the next 20 years, and that's however long he lives, right? He's trying to set himself up for the absolute immediate future. The only thing that matters to him is this life. And that's the way the people of the world are. Why are they making decisions and why are they doing corrupt things and stabbing each other in the back and doing uh, uh, Ponzi schemes and other things? Why are they doing that? Because they're only worried about their immediate future. They have no sense at all of what's coming for the absolute future, for the forever, forever future. That is not what Jesus is commending this guy, or that's not what he's commending to us. The discrepancy, listen, is in, in the futures. So this guy has a very short window, a very immediate future, a very temporal future. We, on the other hand, have a very forever future. That's what he's pointing you at. Are you being shrewd with regard to your eternal future? This is not a salvation message. Like I said, last time was a salvation message. That's not what this is about. This is an assumption of salvation, assuming you're saved. How are you currently planning for that eternal future? All I need to do is go to heaven. Where did you get that from? You did not get that from the Bible. You might have got it from a preacher like me. But you do not get that from the Bible because Jesus hammers us on being prepared for the future. After salvation, how we handle our lives is going to have a direct impact on what our future forever is going to be like. And make sure you're alive next year because we're going to, with God, God willing, and I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm going to try to be alive too. We're going to go, it's been 15 years since I've done it, and I've got to do it just for my own sake because I need a refresher definitely, and I've got to get hit over the head with it. But we're going to, we're going to do our next Winter Texan Bible study. Again, God willing, he could change this, and this is just the way I feel right now. But yeah, we're going to do a, a study on rewards. Rewards. He will not lose his reward. It talks about this. He's given a glass of cold water to, to the, one of the least of these who believe in my name. He will not lose it. What is this reward? Your reward isn't heaven. That's Jesus' reward. He bought that. That's his. His reward, as weird as this is, sounds, it's weird to me. His reward for all that he did is that we're going to be in heaven. Now, I, to me, I think that as a liability, frankly. You get a bunch of us, you know, me. Why do you want me there? We just don't fully understand his love and how, 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 how committed he is to us. Uh, but we, we get glimpses of it, like I said. But that's his reward. The Father's going to reward him with all these children. But we personally gain and lose rewards beyond that. You're not losing or gaining heaven. You can't do that. Jesus, you can't lose something you couldn't gain. Jesus gained it for you. You, can't, you didn't get it because you're a good person. You can't lose it because you're a bad person. I wrote a book. You need to buy it. Heaven can't be lost because you couldn't gain it because Jesus did all that for you. But, so it's not about heaven, but there is something beyond heaven in addition to, that you can gain or lose. That is what this is about. And that is what the, the but, but, so a, a brief introduction, and, but that's what Jesus is focusing on here. And so let's, let's get a little bit deeper here before we I go get too far ahead of myself. So he commends the guy not for being corrupt, but for taking advantage of an immediate opportunity and immediate need. And again, the discrepancy here is he's focusing, he's not saying we should be shrewd, as in this guy only worried about our next 20 years, we should be shrewd with regards to our next eternal future. As shrewd as this guy or more. You should be planned. Things should be focused. It should be prorated. You should take it very seriously because your condition in, in, a, in a strange way is exactly like this man. I'm going to show it to you. Again, the praise, the commendation, is for this legitimate assessment of his future. Are you legitimately assessing your future? It will show in your pocketbook. 
It will show in the time you spend and what you spend doing. It will show in how you handle the abilities and the opportunities and the positions that God has given to you. It will definitely show we can know right now where you stand as far as your future is concerned. So a legitimate assessment of his future. The steward is losing his job, right? He's losing his home. He's losing his livelihood in the immediate future. And he does what he can to set himself up for that immediate future, the next 20 years, the next 15 years, however long he's going to live. He's obligated Paul and his wife and everybody else he could possibly get their hands on. He's going to go from house to house. He's going to be living large. He's not going to have to handle a show, a hoe or a shovel at all because he's cut Paul's bill 50%. He did this to a lot of people. They owe him. He's, he's leveraged the culture and his situation to make a difference for his future. So Jesus calls us, Jesus' call is for us to legitimately assess our immediate future. Not talking about the next 20 years of your life. By the way, 30 years, everyone in this room will be dead. Isn't that right? Including me. I'll be 82, 83. Maybe I won't be. Maybe you won't be. So how will you be in 30 years if you live? Will you want to be alive? I'm thinking heaven's good. I want to go there. And I don't want to hang on here at the same time. It's all up to God, of course. Uh, it's not for us to say. So, so this is the way the people of the world work. They work planning for their immediate future, and they'll by hook and crook take care of it. And they'll even stab you in the back to get it done. Jesus is, again, using a bad example to point to a good example for us. So here's what happened. First of all, he took the one thing that he had. What did he have? Two weeks. He had two weeks to remain the say over a house, and he was going to lose it all, and he was going to lose his ability to ever get that kind of job in that community again. It's over. Whatever he had been doing the previous, let's say he's 40 years, the previous 20 years of his life, he was not going to be doing it the next 20 years. It's over. They know who he is. They know what he's done. He's got two weeks, and that's all. We are in a similar situation. You've only got one life. You squander it. You will wish you hadn't. It's not, about, not an issue of heaven or hell. This is, this is already a foregone conclusion that you're going to heaven. This is an issue of what you have done with the eternal life that God has given you. You will be held accountable for it. We don't think we do. Will, who, who told you that? Where did you get that? You did not get that from the Bible. And certainly not from Jesus. Because Jesus hits us over and over and over and over and over and over. Again, with example after example of, of how that is not true. So he took the one thing he had, it was the same way, when, and we only have one thing, and when it's gone, it's gone, right? Two weeks is up, you're fired. This life is over, you're fired. By the way, you're losing everything just like this guy is. You're losing it all. You're losing your job, you're losing your income, you're losing your house, you're losing your stuff. You're losing everything. You're losing more than this guy, actually. This guy was just, you know, just, just a few things. You're losing more than that. So, again, you're in a similar situation. He, he, he took the one thing he had. He took someone else's stuff and the temporary position that he had, and he leveraged it for his immediate future. You also are currently in the possession of someone else's stuff. And what, what is that? Everything you have, including your body, your skills. These are all things that were given to you. And I like to think of it as a monopoly game. Everything you have, is this is a monopoly game. We're all in. And you have been issued, the owner of the game owns the game. He owns all the pieces. He owns it's all monopoly houses, all monopoly property, it's all monopoly money. How do we know that? Because when the game's over, it all goes back in the box. And you leave with nothing. You, as they say, you can't take it with you. It wasn't yours before you got here. It will not be yours when it's over. This is a monopoly game. Everybody's playing the game, whether they're in the kingdom or they're out of the kingdom, but everybody's going to be judged. Listen, even the, un, even the lost are going to be judged as how they handle the game. The Bible, listen, as weird as this sounds, the Bible, not only does it, not only does it give us indication that heaven is going to be a place of differing experiences, as far as there are going to be better experiences in heaven and lesser experiences in heaven. Does that shock you? I didn't write, I didn't write the Bible. Well, I'm not trying to adjust your 
position on heaven just because I can. I'm trying to adjust your position on heaven because it needs to be adjusted. Because that, that is a scriptural position. Our position in heaven is going to be the similar experience to everyone. You did not get that from the Bible. You do not. You, can't, you, you, you will not stand two seconds with the scriptures with that position. You can't. Similarly, the Bible indicates that hell is going to be a similar positional thing. Some experiences in heaven are going to be worse than others. Does that shock you? Guess where I got it? From the Bible. From the Bible. Make sure, make sure you live to next year, because we're going to discuss this. <laughs> and if you don't live, then you'll already know. So, so he takes someone else's stuff. That's what you currently have. Just make a running list of all the things you have. It's not yours. None of your money, none of your property, none even of your skills or opportunities. They're not yours. They have been handed to you in the game. And you're going to be judged by the owner of the game as to how you played. And it will make a difference in your eternal experience. It will. See, we have a problem in our Protestant culture. And I say that to Protestants because Catholics actually do it better than we do. Because we have so focused on salvation is apart from works. And, and, and I'm big on that. And like I said, I got a book in there. It is not where it's Jesus' works that save you. It's not your works that save you. But we have been so heavy on the works don't matter salvation thing that we have gotten to the place where we think that works don't matter ever at all. That is, that is not true. That is not true. That is a massive mistake. Jesus gives us example after example after example, speaking to his disciples, speaking strictly to save people. That boy, had you better be careful with what you're doing with your eternal life. Because you've got one shot. You're not going to get another one, right? There's not a second chance. We're not reincarnated. You're not going to get a second run at this. To set in stone what your eternal future is going to be like. And you better be serious about it, because believe me, he is very serious about it. Whatever you do with what you currently have will set in stone forever your experience in the future. I'll say that one more time. Whatever you do with what you currently have, which none of it's yours, will set in stone forever your experience in the future. Here, here, let me get more specific. If you do nothing for the kingdom of God, which you can do, as a Christian, do nothing. You reach no one. You make eternal, no eternal differences. I'm assuming better for all of you. Now, this is so you can go preach to the people you know that are bad. <laughs> you reach no one. You make no eternal difference in anybody's lives. That will be your permanent status in eternity. Is that what you want? It's your prerogative. You can do that. You're going to be known forever as someone who did nothing with what God gave you. That will be your permanent status in eternity. Do you really want that? Now again, you may not think, well, that's not in the Bible. You need to read the Bible. You need to read the Bible. You need to read it. So, so no service, no money, no sacrifice in this life will be what you're known for in the next life. You will reap no dividends in the next. Is that what you want? I don't want that. Again, we're not talking about a prorated dividends that pay out like, or play out like your 401k, you know, at diminishing returns. We're talking about a future with no adjustable rate, either up or down. It's going to be set the moment you die. So you got one shot at this. It's called this life. You're not going to get another shot. Not going to get one. One shot. So as they say, make hay while the sun is shining. Because how long is it going to shine? Like how long we got, right? 30 years, we're all going to be dead. So you got a shot. Again, who's writing this story? Who's, who's saying this? this? is not Pastor Bill. Who's saying the story? This is Jesus. This is the eternal one from an eternal position saying, I'm telling you, it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. Adjust yourselves 
to an absolute future. He's speaking from eternity about what you're going to experience in eternity. He's, he's, again, if, you're, if your opinion of heaven disagrees with Jesus and your experience disagrees with what Jesus says it's going to be like, you got a problem. You need to fix it. Again, it is an ex- a suggestion. He literally says, buy. That's really what it says there in verse 9. I say to you, make friends. Buy for yourselves by means of a mammon of unrighteousness. Take the stuff that you have, and that includes not just money. That includes your, your money, your talents, your time, your opportunities. Buy for yourselves friends who will be greeting you at the gates when you arrive there. That's a very simple interpretation of what he says. Very little interpretation of the Greek. Buy for yourselves friends who will greet you at the big gates when you arrive there. You ever heard that before? Man, that's exactly what he's saying. Well, that's serious. Are you doing that? You only get one shot at it. You only get one shot. So how do you set yourself up for an eternal future? Here's how. Invest yourself in stuff. That's a theological term. Write that down. Stuff. Because <laughs> it could be anything. There is a broad range for sure. Invest yourself and your stuff in kingdom enterprises that bring the message of salvation to sinners and train others to bring the message of salvation to sinners, because that's what God's about. God is about, his number one issue is saving people and bringing them into his kingdom. And then after he saved them, it is to make them useful for that kingdom. Otherwise, he'd just take you to heaven. But you're all left here, right? Haven't been saved since I was eight years old. Here I am. So use your stuff to purchase friends for yourselves for the future. That's what the message is. Because, I mean, have you correctly evaluated the future? You're about to leave. It's going to be over. And even if we have still 70 years left, that's still, compared to eternity, we have a very narrow window until we're fired. You're going to be fired and lose everything you've got. So take what you now have and the position you now have and whatever God has given you, if it's talents, if you're pretty, if you're ugly, if you're smart, if you're dumb, use it for something. If you're capable, if you're in a position of influence, in a position of humility, if you have a special gifts, use that stuff. Use whatever you've got. This is one of the most common messages that Jesus makes and remakes in the Gospels. Again, it, you know, it, it's better understood when we really get a full view of what rewards are about. But notice, in, with what we've just said, look at what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. So I never have to save anything, right? That's not what he's saying. It's not an exemption from being careful with your money and having a 401k, uh, having a retirement, handling money correctly. That's not what he's saying. There's got a lot of other scriptures that talk about saving. Go to the ant, right? That's in Proverbs. It's not, this is not excluding that. This is not Xing that out. He's just saying, again, it's about prorating and understanding what the future is. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, even though you may have a lot of it. Where moths and vermin destroy. Again, it's what you treasure. It's what you're hoping for. It's what you're living for. But I'm living, I'm prorating these things, I'm, I'm handling these things with regards to a, to a real future, which is not 20 years. It's the forever future. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, there is nothing in the scriptures at all that says there's only some full-time ministers. It says we all are. You're a Christian, you're a full-time minister. You're going to be held accountable for that. Are you ready for that? You're ready for that. You're not just accountable for the tithe, the 10%. You're accountable for the 100%. It's all Jesus' money. The pastor's saying we've got to give 100% to the church. That's not what I said. (laughs) God's ministry, God's ministry, as far as your money's concerned, includes you. Aren't you part of God's ministry? He's providing for you. He knows you've got to eat, you've got to have clothes. In this culture, you've got to have a car to drive. He knows also your kids have got to eat and got to have clothes. And possibly your grandkids have got to eat. There's nothing wrong with having more and leaving some of it behind because that may be part of God's program. There's, there's, it's not, that's not necessarily in disagreement with God's program. I, you know, pastors say I've got to give everything to missions and to 
well, part of God's missions is reaching your grandkids. Is that not true? And providing for them. I mean, that's not evil things. It's not things inconsistent with, with what he's given to us. It's just to think that what I have is only for that, then you got a problem. So some of it is providing that he gives to me. It's provide for me and mine. Some of it is provide for others, including reaching them for Christ, most importantly. And in fact, that needs to be the bottom line of everything that it does. Not to be, I can't buy food for people, but my bottom line is not just to make them less hungry. It's to bring them to the place where I can witness to them or someone else can witness to them to bring, bring them to the place of understanding the gospel. So again, he's not kidding with us. He's being eternally serious. And again, so, so let me just say this as offensively as I possibly can. Person, personal accumulation of money even memories and stuff for the sake of it is stupid. It is really stupid. Let, let, me, let me just show you. Luke 12, turn back a couple chapters. This is, like, like I said, Jesus is, he hits heavy on this topic. And we don't really like to get to the bottom of what he's really saying because it makes us squirm really bad, and we don't like that. Luke 12, 15. Beware, be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. How do we know that? Because it ain't yours. It ain't yours. It's just monopoly money. It's monopoly houses and properties. It's all going back in the box. So it's all stuff you'll never get back again, you'll never see again, you'll never be again. But it's all that matters to you? You're stupid. You're a big dummy. You need a swift kick. And that's what he's doing to us, giving us a swift kick. Nothing, it doesn't matter. You know, your life consists, does not consist of your possessions. He gives, the, here's the parable. The land of a certain rich man was very productive. Oh, began reasoning to himself, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Again, nothing wrong with saving, but his problem is perspective. This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger, larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Who says? Who says when you're fired? Only God does. Maybe tomorrow. It was the case in this guy. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Again, who blessed him with this stuff? It was God who gave him this stuff, but it was a test of his real heart, and what do we find out about his heart? His heart is not focused on the future at all. And so he gets fired that night. God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. A person like that is stupid. It's just dumb. Just plain dumb. And, and again, why does it matter? Because you're going to be known as being dumb with God's stuff. Yeah, maybe not those terms necessarily, but I'm just hitting you over the head. You want to be known as being the person who was done with God's stuff forever. Is that what you really want? That's, really, that's why he's speaking from eternity. Listen, it's eternity that matters. It's eternity. It's when the game's over and you're judged according to the rules of the one who owns the game that's when push is going to come to shove. And so, so he, it's a shock factor for us, and that's the reason why these, these things are so hard for us to take in, because they're shocking because they step on our toes. But, but really, it's better to know now what the rules of the game are than to find out then and to say, oh, well. I mean, John even says in, in 1 John, and I, I wish I could remember exactly where it was. I think it's chapter 3. Maybe I should find it, because I'm going to quote it here, and it's going to be incorrect. 1 John 3, I think. I know it's in my Bible. <laughs> 1 John 2, verse 28. Here's John speaking to Christians. And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears... That's eternity, right? We may have confidence 
and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming? Do you ever, you ever conceptualize the possibility that there's some Christians who, when Jesus comes, are going to be ashamed? That sounds like a lost person's thing, isn't it? I mean, it is. There's going to be more, way more than just shame for them. But he's not talking to lost people here. He's not. And, and John, by the way, gets big on rewards here in, this, in, this, uh, in his book as well. He's talking about rewards. He's talking about a condition after this life for believers. You ever picture heaven being a place where you would at least initially be ashamed of yourself? Oh. All right. Make sure your position on heaven and anything is in agreement with the scriptures and not with what, whatever is easy. It's easier for us to think that heaven's going to be the same experience for everybody. It's going to be awesome. We're all going to be happy. It's all going to be enjoyable. And we're not going to be confronted with any of our stuff. Where'd you get that from? Jesus paid for our sins. Not about sin. Not about sin. It is about what you've done with your eternal life. And he's left you here, and it's part of part of this is a test. It's a test. Are you, how are you doing? Again, the steward was heading into a jobless, moneyless, positionless future. But he was going to have friends who were obligated to him and places to live and food to eat. That's, that's the picture for us. We're headed into a jobless. You're going to lose your job forever. Whatever you currently are, you're going to cease to be forever. You okay with that? You've got an identity. You know, all of us men have some kind of identity crisis with our, you know, who we, where we work. The women are not, not any different than us. They're just less, maybe. Women are identified with their children and other things, and I know you're familiar with all that stuff. You're going to cease to be a mom there. Grandma. You're not going to be known for that. You're not going to be known for being, I don't know, pastor or whatever, whatever God's given us down here. That's ceasing. That's over. Forever. Ever. I mean, yeah, your kids are going to be there, but it's not, I mean, they're going to be the same status as you are. We're headed into a jobless, moneyless, positionless future. Will we have friends there? People lives that were made different because we took what temporarily we had and we made eternal differences with it. Just a straight up question. Will we have that? Now we are currently deciding what that conclusion is going to be like. And it will, like I said, it will not be a prorated thing. It will be a fixed rate. Whatever, whatever you're known for, when it's all over, that is what you're known for. Whatever you have, that is what you have. Forever. You're not going to be adding more people to the fold once you're there. Okay? Not going to be no more money to give. No more opportunities. No more opportunities to witness and no more chances. You know, we had the guy, the, the rich guy and, the, and Lazarus, and he wanted Lazarus to go back and witness to his brothers, and he wasn't going back. You're not going back. You're not going to get another chance. And we all know that, right? But somehow we're living as if, as if that isn't true. And you're thinking tomorrow's a chance. Like I said, you could be fired tonight. Are you okay with that? And maybe you are. And I'm not saying, you know, I hope you are. Like I said, I'm expecting better things of all of y'all. We're just going to go back and be powerful preachers against all the bad Christians that are out there. But, but um, you better be, you better hope you're doing stuff that you're, that you're, um, you're okay with being caught at doing. Because whatever, eventually you're going to get caught at it going to be over and the savior's not missing anything and he's got a tally like i said if the tally is so specific that it's down to a cup of cold water for those who uh minister in his name wow what else are we getting rewarded or losing rewards over we consider things small issues big issues ah man it's going to be really really fine down to the last penny down to the last breath down to the last opportunity you're going to be, he's going to have a ledger for all that stuff. So are you ready for that? As, you, know, you know, some of you are saying, well, I have a lot of regrets. Well, you know, yesterday's over, tomorrow's a new day. It's, like I said, the sun is still shining. We need to make hay. And you need to figure out what that is. And you need to get real serious about it. And all of us full-time ministers, just all of us, no exceptions, 
And well, I don't speak very well. Okay, find somebody that speaks, support that person. Well, I'm a good servant. Okay, serve. Do that. What is your ministry? I don't know, picking up cigarette butts in the parking lot of the church. Okay, do that. You're enhancing the gospel ministry somehow. Find stuff. Do it. As God leads you, as God opens doors, step into those doors and, and, and let him lead you. But, uh, but again, our, our real problem is not that we're incapable it's, or that we don't know what to do. That's not our real problem. Our real problem is just willingness. We don't really see the seriousness of it. Thus, the shock factor of these stories. Boom, hitting us hard. And I may go back and do this one parable, but I don't think I will. So I think we've had enough. But, um, and I don't, I don't, I mean, not until next year will I do the parable that I just went over very quickly. So, so we'll stop right there. So let's, let's pray, and we will, we will convene back together next Tuesday. God, I thank you for just confronting us with the truth. I thank you, God, for, um, I just pray, God, that we would listen. I pray, God, that we would hear what, what you have to say, and we wouldn't come to the text thinking we already know, but instead we would just simply say, what, what are we missing here? What are we not seeing? And, and Lord, I pray just from what we've learned today, we would say the same thing about our lives. What are we missing? Here we are on a new day, and... Um, about to lose everything and are we handling what you've currently given us well are we really using this stuff for the for the absolute future that's coming and um, I want to pray for wisdom and we know that you'll guide us into all truth and so we're trusting your spirit to take these words and place them um, in our lives Lord as only uniquely you can thank you God uh, it's in Jesus name I pray amen Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.